0: you're listening to earth matters on the community radio network produced at 3cr community radio on wangery country we record mix and produce our show on stolen lands it always was and always will be aboriginal land You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Idwin Jeffrey. This week, we're returning to the forests, looking at the ongoing battle to protect our native bush and biodiversity from logging. Recently, it feels like we're turning a corner in the campaign to end native logging on a statewide level. There has been greater national awareness for how logging threatens Australia's biodiversity, The economic costs and losses of the logging industry are finally making its way onto mainstream headlines. Community cases have been gaining traction in the courts. And statewide, a couple of states have actually pledged to phase out native logging in the next decade, with WA leading the way with a phase-out planned for 2024. On a federal level, we've also had the environmental minister pledge to protect 30% of Australian land by 2030 the question hanging there, will that include state forests? To talk about it today, we have two guests coming at the issue from different angles. Later in the show, we'll be speaking with Sue McKinnon from King Lake Friends of the Forest in Victoria about statewide progress against logging in Victoria. This is really exciting. Sue's a long-term guest on our show and King Lake Friends of the Forest were successful in November in one of their court cases. So we'll be getting a look in on that and where the current or Victorian government relationship is, with statewide logging. First up, though, we'll be hearing from ecologist and author Dr Jennifer Sanger from The Tree Project about three recent reports she's penned tracking the emissions created by native forest logging and how private logging entities try to cover these emissions up. So let's get underway. Our first interview starts off with Dr Sanger introducing herself and how these three reports looking into native forest logging emissions, came about.
1: Okay, so my name is Dr. Jen Sanger. I'm a forest ecologist with the Tree Project. And I started uh, looking at the importance of forest in carbon, because I live down in Tasmania, and we've got some really remarkable forests down here. Um, They often talk about Tassie's forests being some of the most carbon-dense in the whole entire world, and so that got me thinking, you know, if if we're logging the most carbon-dense forests in the world, then what does that mean for emissions? Surely that's meant to be pretty significant, right? Um, And I thought this would be a really easy question to answer, because, you know, I I knew that there was... um, Um, climate change reporting that's done at both the state and the national level and um, and I know that that's broken down into different sectors and industries Um, so yeah I thought it would be a really easy question to answer but when I went to go look for those numbers I, I couldn't really find them so yeah I so I decided to do my own research on it.
0: And, Jen, this is, uh, brings us into our conversation today. You've recently written a report looking at New South Wales and uh, st- native logging, um, but it came out with this figure, which was if native forests were protected in New South Wales, Victoria and Tasmania, 212 million tonnes of carbon would be prevented from entering the atmosphere by 2050. Now, for those of us who <laughs> don't sort of think about emissions on a daily basis, what do, how do you conceptualise that? What does that look like?
1: yeah so that would be the same um emission saving is is um as if we shut down Australia's dirtiest power plant something for something like twenty two years. It's also equivalent to um um converting something like ten percent of australia's households to solar like it, It's just a huge a huge um thing that could be done to prevent emissions
0: from happening. And I know that uh, your report, specifically looking at New South Wales, was part of sort of a combined effort, or, or three reports that were released around the same time. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, yeah, how these three, what these three reports are looking at, and how they work together, or, or, or give us a picture of native logging? Yeah, so um,
1: I did my first report in Tasmania because this is where I'm based, and I do a fair bit of campaigning down here. And um, I looked at um, the emissions from native forest logging in Tasmania and I found that there was something like 4.6 million tonnes being emitted each year. Now, that actually makes forestry, native forest logging in Tasmania, the most highly um, um, emitting industry out of anything in the state. So there's more emissions coming from forestry than there is from any other sector which was quite alarming. I mean, I knew that the figures would be high, but I didn't realise it would be that much. Um, so that was really quite um, a, a big, big finding. Um, so I released that Tasmanian report in June last year and then I got contacted by the wonderful people at Victorian Forest Alliance and they were really keen for me to um, have a look at Victoria's emissions. Um, and so I did that in around, um, I think it was October last year. And, um, yeah, and then I've been working with some people in New South Wales and I've just recently released last week um the New South Wales Forest Carbon Report, too. So um, when you look at um, Victoria, so Victoria emits about 3 million tonnes of carbon a year, whereas New South Wales is about 3.6 million tonnes of carbon per year. So they both emit quite a significant amount. So if you combine all of those, that, those states, um, you get about 11.6 million tonnes of carbon um, each year being emitted, and that's um, yeah. So, so that's that's equivalent to something like 2.6 million cars, or um, it's even more than um, Australia's domestic aviation industry. So it's it's quite a significant amount.
0: Now, your reports are written uh, in response to a lack of transparency in current emissions reporting requirements uh, from an industry logging perspective. I've always been fascinated with the many manifestations of the public relations industry, and reporting is one of those areas where numbers and statistics are smudged to look good. Can you tell us a little bit about this world of reporting that you've now experienced in Tasmania, New South Wales, and Victoria, and your experience now with how the facts get hidden?
1: Yeah, so we have a really big problem with the way that emissions are being reported in the forest sector. And it's, um, it's, it's not just at the state level, it's actually at the national level. And there's also, um, other countries like, um, Canada that have this same problem as well. But basically what they do is that they, they treat forests as this, just this one entity. So of course forests draw down a lot of carbon from the atmosphere. Um, um, and so they often have um, you know, a negative carbon balance because they 're drawing it down from um, from the atmosphere, but then um, the logging of the forests is also within that same reporting um, sphere as well so there 's there's, there's a lot of emissions coming from forestry but they 're actually reported together in the same category and they kind of net each other out and so you can 't really get a full picture of um, of how much emissions are coming from um, native forest logging, and on the same hand, too, you can't get a full picture of how much carbon's actually being drawn down by our forests in total. Now, this makes it super hard for policymakers. So they are only just presented with this one figure, which is a net figure of both, and it's really hard for them to make decisions on how to manage forests if they're not getting a true picture of what's going on. So if these if these um, two two factors, so the the emissions from forestry and then the carbon that's sequestered from from the growing trees, if they were reported separately, they'd be able to make some better informed decisions about it.
0: Uh, The last question I wanted to ask you was sort of on a much larger federal level. Um, We've seen a lot of friction between the Environmental Biodiversity Protection Conservation Act and regional forest agreements. And when I say that, I'm talking about the 2021 uh, review into the Environmental Biodiversity Act, which basically problematized regional forest agreements, the um, moving of logging into state jurisdiction rather than a federal level. Uh, now, that, that, interview, sorry, that review came out with a recommendation 15, which said that regional forest agreements needed big overhaul, big reform, and needed to be brought up to the same environmental standards as our federal ones. And now... Jen, I know we've spoken about RFAs in the past and I wanted to ask you, do you think reform is possible with these statewide agreements or do you reckon that we need to just scrap them and start from scratch with how we organise logging or at least protections for forests in, on a state level?
1: Yeah, so the one, the massive thing that's a big concern about the regional forest agreement is that they have this exemption from from the um, the federal environmental laws. So forestry is the only industry that doesn't have to abide by um, the federal, these federal laws. And it would be equivalent to being on a building site and, you know, um, everybody having to apply by the rules. So you've got your chippies, you've got your um, plasterers, you've got your sparkies. They're all having to do things by, you know, one standard and, and making sure everything's safe and, and, and good when then you've just got plumbers coming in doing whatever the hell they want. And so it's just a completely unfair kind of system, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm really hoping that we do see some um, reform on this. And if, if the RFAs, if they were brought into a line and had to abide by the national standards when they get drawn up, that would be a pretty good start. I reckon um, scrapping the RFAs altogether would be, also be a fantastic idea but what it, that all depends on what would take, um, take over in its place as well too because there's a whole bunch of other elements to the regional forest agreements in terms of um, on a whole bunch of other um, forestry-specific um, um, regulations um, as well too. But yeah, just getting them in line with the national standards would be absolutely fantastic. Now, we have heard some stuff... Um, from um, Tanya Plibersek and um, the Albanese government about this, that they're thinking about it and they're considering it. We haven't heard any strong language that it's going to take place, or if that you know, or a time frame. And so, um, if anyone's out there listening and they have some spare time on their hands, it'd be wonderful if you can write to Tanya Plibersek and um, really talk to her and um, and ask her. To really take action on making sure that RFAs have to abide by the law mm. <laughs> that everybody else has to, and that, um, to make them a part of the nationals and standards, because it's really important. So, if, if this was to happen, for instance, so at the moment in Tasmania we have um, Sustainable Timber Tasmania, which is the state-owned logging agency, so that it's just going absolute nuts and just clearing so much swift parrot habitat. Now, the swift parrot is critically endangered, Mm. and its numbers have dropped dramatically in the last 10 years. And the thing is, this bird is so well-studied. Most of our threatened species, we don't really know much about them, but the swift parrot, we understand their ecology really, really well, and their number one threat by far is the loss of habitat through logging. And we know this so well, and we understand it so well, yet um, because of the RFAs, um, state government can just log all of its habitat without any, without any, you know, checks or balances or anything like that. And we need to do better. Um, otherwise, the swift parrots are not going to be with us for much longer.
0: And that was Dr Jennifer Sanger from The Tree Project talking about the native logging industry and how much emissions it creates, as well as necessary reforms we need to make, both to RFAs, the way we think about carbon capture, and the reporting of emissions. Jen mentioned in the interview the Victorian Forest Alliance, with whom she worked on for the Victoria reporting, and you can check them out at victorianforestalliance.org.au. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Next up is Sue McKinnon from King Lake Friends of the Forest, talking about what statewide logging will look like in Victoria in
2: 2023.
0: Your team had huge success in November in the joint court case with um, East Environment Gippsland. Victoria's Supreme Court found that the agency Vic Forests had failed to adequately survey for endangered greater glider Possums before logging with its timber harvesting operations in the East Gippsland and the Central Highlands, with the threat of serious or irreversible harm to the gliders. Can you tell us a little bit about the judgment and the success in November? Um, well, the main thing is that we won. Um,
2: we won all the clauses that we argued, both King Lake Prince of Forest and Environment East Gippsland won all the clauses they argued for. Um, the judgment was really clear. Vicross um, been in bre- in our case, Vicross been in breach of two clauses. One clause basically says they must survey for endangered species, um, and they weren't. And the other, saying they must avoid threatening serious or irreversible harm to the environment. Um, and in this case, we showed that the threat was um, that of extinction of two species. Um, that greater glider and the yellow valley glider were um, being threatened, and um, it was up to the forest to prove they weren't. They weren't able to prove they weren't being threatened, and so, um, yeah, so the judgment was quite clear about that. Um, they haven't failed to abide by their own logging laws, um, and that's over the entire of the central highlands and East Gippsland, not just specific.
0: Um, instances
2: Mm. Um, so the
0: logging's been illegal and the wood produced from that logging is illegally logged wood. We had the Friends of the Leadbeater case and then in 2022 the Victorian government announced that it was publishing amendments to the Forestry Codes of Practice in Victoria and also the Conservation Forest and Land Act, which is what you're referencing in that response here. Um, These changes went through very fast. There was a little consultation period and there were significant changes. Now that those changes have actually been formalised, they were published in June of last year, I believe, at least the changes to the Forestry Codes of Practice. I was wondering how that sort of um, – what the impact's been like on forest regulation, if it has gotten in the way of your community court cases, it's sounding like it's a no.
2: Well, there was actually two changes to the code. Mm-hmm. The first one was in 2021, and um, that came through just just days before our other case. We, we took the forest to court because they were not – we said well, they were not abiding by the clause – relating to screening yep. shared logging from view. And um just it, our case was delayed and delayed and just days before our case went to trial, um, the code was changed and they removed the um screening from view and that just completely derailed our case. Mm. Um since then they had a second change in the code and they um and that's when they brought in the precautionary principle change and uh, yeah, we just tweaked our, we just changed our evidence or oh, added more evidence to our trial and it didn't change much. The, the That second change was quite significant um, in that they also changed the, the act that sits above the code. And um, and the changes in the act mean that future code changes don't need any consultation. Wow. Um, yes. And forest protectors can be jailed. Um, it expands the power of the Uh, police in the forest. Um, Vic Vic police will now be able to ban people from the forest. Um, The new laws seem to be aimed at citizen scientists. Um, It means that climbing a tree to install, say, a a wildlife camera to look for an endangered species uh, and that's quite often done now for for, say, for of possums, um, can result in jail time for the surveyor. Um, It also can result in, in being banned from the forest by the police. So um,
0: this, the changes to the Act were dramatic in way above what, um, you know. I, don't know. I, I know that um, we've obviously had a lot of protest laws um, being brought in by the Victorian government in the last couple of years, which could threaten that, but I didn't know it was to these sort of extents. It's really interesting to hear um. the attack on citizen scientists, which, of course, you um. guys are doing a lot of. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we, we base our
2: cases would be nothing without citizen science. Um mm. And 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 in fact, right now, because of our case and because of the orders that came in, so the Supreme Court has placed orders on Big Forest they must survey, and where gliders are found, they must protect them. They also must protect um, other things like waterways and, and hollow different trees. Um, so it's up to us now to do a lot of monitoring. We, of course, don't trust Big Forest, so we will be out surveying um, like crazy and um and, and, you know, <laughs> acts like that um, are quite significant when, when you, you know,
0: when you realise how important monitoring in the forest is. Of course, when you're doing that day-to-day legwork oh. that goes into the court case. Sue, so we've had uh, Dr Jennifer Sanger come on to the show, earlier on the show, talking about the lack of transparency in emissions reporting from statewide logging entities in New South Wales, Tasmania and Victoria as an activist that has been engaging with the forestry industry, either in the courtroom or on the forest floor, what is your perspective of what aspects of the logging public-private relationship um, that need more transparency, that remain really opaque?
2: Well, I agree with, with Jen that um, that emissions need to be declared, um, and, and not just lumped in. The forest um, absorbs a lot of carbon, and the reduction, the emissions from logging is lost in amongst the um, the, the absorption of carbon. Um, so, so that's one thing. Um, I guess in regards to transparency, I, I would like to see more transparency in where the
1: logs from
2: Big Cross Logging are going to. So if you go to the website of, um, say, Australian Sustainable Hardwood, um, you have to search and search and search um, and, and go through a, ver- a number of um, um, pages and links before you realise, oh, this is wood from Big Cross Logging. This is wood from our native forest. Um, and the same with other mills, um, and the same with, with Nippon, making paper and making cardboard mm-hmm. out of our native um, it It's not immediately apparent. It seems to be hidden, um, and it's also hidden behind the word sustainable. Um, and and no, none of these sites seem to um, admit that not only has it been found to be this, this wood that they're using to make their product has been found to have been illegally logged, um, but they also have the word sustainable printed hundreds of times on their website. And, you know, we've proven that because they're failing the precautionary principle, they're basically failing the very fundamental of sustainable development at, 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 that Australia agreed to. Mm. So, yeah, I find, I find that these, um, the, the, um, the suppliers, the resellers, wood, you know, of trees of our forest, um, it, it, it's just very opaque, to say the
0: least. Yeah, yep. It's greenwashing mm. and opaque. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, with that in mind, um, one of the big PR announcements that we've got from the Victorian government on this issue, I should say PR slash policy, serious pol- hard policy, is that the government is going to phase out native uh, logging by 2030, and that's kicking off in 2024. Uh, Now, that announcement was a couple of years ago, and we find ourselves closer and closer to 2024. I was wondering, as sort of someone engaged in this space, have we seen any movements around that, or any action plan, or or sort of step by step process underway?
2: Oh, there's nothing transparent about it. There's nothing um, that has been that we've seen that's been um, a reduction in in any contract. So, there's a contract to the Marybelle Mill. between the government and the mill,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, to supply wood for paper and cardboard. Um, and that hasn't been officially changed. And it's oh, we just don't know what's happening with that contract because over the last, certainly since our case came, when our case decision was handed down in November last year, all logging in the east of the state, which is you know, 99% of the wood going mm-hmm. to... Uh, Maribel, um, has been stopped. So, because the court said you have to survey and big Cross were in no position to do surveys. So, they completely stopped all logging in the of the state. Unfortunately, they have started logging in, in Wombat St. Forest, and walking in the Dandenong National Park and Silver Reservoir. Um, so, that's really sad, but the volume must be. Significantly reduced. This is their peak season, summer, and they haven't logged over the whole summer wow. in, in the east. So um, there's been a lot less volume going to to uh, the nipponic um, paper mill in Maryvale, and a lot less volume going to those saw logs uh, that take the small portion of native forest logging. Um, probably a lot, a lot less volume going to the manufacturer of sheep pellets. Um, but we've seen nothing official. There's nothing intentional about it. It's just like, oh, well, we can't because of the court. Gotcha. Yeah. It, it, well, although I don't know that the decision by Nippon to stop making white paper was entirely because of supply problems. They may have been looking for an excuse to get out. I don't know.
0: Well, yes, this does bring us to 2023. And we've the logging industry's had a few knockbacks in Victoria. News headlines last year about the losses, uh, unprecedented losses made by the sector. And then, yeah, there's sort of the speculation early Feb around Nippon closing. Um, but I wanted to ask in terms of King Lake Friends of the Forest and your focus, what's twenty twenty three got in store or where's where's the focus at?
2: Oh, surveying and surveying and surveying, just monitoring, right.
0: forest, making sure we know where every glider
2: is, every waterway, every hollow bearing tree, a yellow bellied feed trees, all those things are protected now in the in the new the permanent injunction set by the, the court. Um, and so we just we need We need so many surveyors. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, I must say it's a a fun thing to do. So uh, I'm I'm enjoying it. But, um, (laughs) but, yeah. yeah. And and, and the good thing is is that um, unlike before when we looked for greater gliders and we found greater gliders and then they just logged them, killed them, Mm. um, when we find greater gliders or, you know, a hollow bearing tree, we will save that one. Yeah, so
0: that, that's a great thing. That's so exciting. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Idwin Jeffrey. Today on the show, we heard from Dr. Jennifer Sanger talking about three recent reports looking into the actual emissions caused by native logging. You can read Jen's reports on www.thetreeprojects.com slash forestcarbon. We also heard from Sue McKinnon from Kinglake Friends of the Forest, talking about their group's court success in November last year, and what state logging and government responses will look like in 2023. You can find out more at Twitter or at their website, Kinglake Friends of the Forest. Earth Matters would like to say thank you to the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in broadcasting today's episode and the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous financial support. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Melbourne and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. That's all for now, but tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories.